Hello and welcome to Talk of the Hound, a podcast from Theater Hound. Theater Hound's a new, unique theater platform which looks at the art and business of theater from a multitude of angles. I'm your host, Wes Braver, and I'm here to talk to all kinds of people whose work makes theater so compelling today. Today, my guest is Rob Orchard. He's an incredibly accomplished theater producer, and I try to use this interview to sort of demystify what that job is, at least for him, by talking through his storied career. Here are the highlights from his bio. I really can't do it all. He's had a hand in so many things, but here we go. He was the founding managing director and subsequently executive director of the American Repertory Theater and was the architect for the ART Training Institute and its relationship with the Moscow Art Theater School. At the ART, he produced more than 200 works. He was the director of the Loeb uh, Drama Center at Harvard. And in 2009, he was named Emerson College's first executive director for the arts. And we're going to get to all of that and much more. But first, we start by talking about how Rob got into theater in the first place. Uh, well, I kind of backed into it in an odd way. I was uh, in high school um, in a boarding school in Groton, Massachusetts, <clears throat> and my parents suddenly moved to southern New Hampshire because uh, my father was sick of the Massachusetts taxes. <laughs> and uh, the summer between my sophomore and junior year, um, I suddenly found myself at the end of the school year in May in a town that I'd never been to before, a community I didn't know, and my parents had to figure out what they were going to do with me. So they, for some reason, enrolled me as an apprentice in a local summer stock to Central Barn Theater called the Peterborough Players. Um, and I got hooked. I can't say anything more than that. It was just, you know, uh, a very uh, roll-of-the-dice kind of decision on their part and a uh, happy one for me. So were you acting at first, or what was your, you know, capacity? Uh, no, I wouldn't say I was acting. I kind of was like a, uh, I, I think probably what attracted them to this possibility for me was that I, for a couple of years, did puppet shows for my relatives on Thanksgiving. Uh, and I found a, you know, a cardboard box that, a refrigerator had come in, and I carved out a little proscenium theater. Uh, and, you know, my relatives were very kind and gracious and suffered <laughs> through it. Um, that's their job. Yep. <laughs> that's their job. That's right. And uh, and I I kind of enjoyed it. I liked, I liked the invention of it. I liked the technique of it. I liked the writing of it. I kind of liked it all. Um, so were these like Thanksgiving plays, like Pilgrims and Indians kind of stuff? I don't remember. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I don't think they had anything to do with Thanksgiving. I think they just had something, anything to do with sort of the whim of the moment. There may have been a book I was reading at the time, and I thought I'd do a little distillation of it. I, I roped my elder sister into being, you know, one of the puppet characters. They were all hand puppets. They weren't, you know, anything more sophisticated than that. Um, huh. And yeah. I had a little Victrola back in the box that had the sound effects, and I made a curtain and a, uh, you know, that I could open and close. Um, so it sounds like you were sort of in charge. I I was sort of in charge <laughs> from the very first embarrassing that's, moment. That's not a leading question, but you know, it sort of seems to be informing where you go. It kind of does, in retrospect, doesn't it? Um, and so when I did it, when I was an apprentice at that summer theater. Apprentices do everything, as you know. I took acting classes. I took design classes, which was really more building scenery. Um, I 
raked the courtyard a butt after every performance. We, um, we, we, we took the seats down and stored them in the back because the, the auditorium was also the next day's rehearsal hall. Um, we put them back, set things up, blah, blah, blah. You know, you do everything. Um, and I wound up, for some reason, um, locked in the box office. I, I, I became the box office guy. Um, and I enjoyed that. Uh, and then I was the payroll person. I would hand out, this, this was an equity company, I would hand out the, um, uh, you know, the little envelopes of cash. Um, and I sort of did a, a lot of different things. I really liked the box office part because I liked taking the reservations and I liked doling out the tickets and meeting the people and engaging with the community that way. I found that very satisfying. Interesting. Do you think that you had ambitions at that time of, of being in the theater, you know, as a as a life, as a career, or or as any particular position in the theater, or you just knew I like being at the theater. I think I just knew I liked the collaborative nature of theater, mm-hmm. and I was searching for what my place might be in it. Um, I did do some acting, um, but I wasn't very good, and I thought acting was too limiting. I kind of liked to have my hand in everything. Mm. Uh, or at least I enjoyed having my hand in everything. My path continued with that uh, wonderful little barn theater in southern New Hampshire and Peterborough Players, uh, because after I was an apprentice, I then became, um, in my college years, the business manager of the theater. Um, and so I took on a, a you know a larger role in uh, administering the theater, um, and... That led me to a major in theater and dramatic literature with a minor in economics in college, you know, all stuff that had some uh, relevance to this sort of path that I was on. And then when I, when I was a junior and, and looking to what my career might be, I found that there was one graduate-level program in the country uh, that gave a degree, an MFA degree in theater administration, and that was at Yale. Huh, so I applied okay. and got in. Is that still true, or is that that must be much more expanded no. now? Right? Oh no, no, it's 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 much more prevalent now. There, you know, it's, uh, it, it's colleges and universities do it in different ways. The Yale program was really crafted from the start as a theater management and administration mm. and producing program, and it was geared to the not-for-profit world which isn't to say that what you learned didn't have application in the commercial world, but it was targeted that way. A lot of colleges and universities now have arts administration programs, which are really a collection of courses from different departments around uh, the college and universities. It's it's perfectly valid. But I was very much attracted at that time where the Yale program was the only one that was targeted to theater. Maybe Brooklyn was emerging at that point. Mm -hmm. We're talking about 19... Well, that program started in 1970, 1966. So, uh, and then I stayed on at Yale after I graduated, and and that just continued to be, um, you know, a kind of catalyst for my career. To tell you the truth, if I hadn't gotten in, I had no idea what I was going to do. I mean, yeah. I put all my I, I put all my eggs in that basket. I was, you know, I just gotten married um, the week before. The, the semester began in New Haven. <laughs> it was, oh my you know, god! So it was it was wow. What was you know? Anyhow, I happily found out in the fall, the previous spring, that I was getting in, so I could, 
you know, figure that all out. Um, yeah, yeah. But I loved it. I loved it. So after Yale, uh, when did you make your way to um, Boston? So um, I was at Yale from 1969, combination of student and staff member. When I graduated, um, I was hired into a new position called artistic administrator, and that was because the the dean of the school and the founder of the theater, Robert Brewstein, um, was taking a sabbatical and was going to become the uh, guest critic at the London Observer for a year, and he was going to be absent. So he needed some sort of leadership um, uh, uh, committee, or if you will, or group of people to fill his void as dean of the school and artistic director of the theater. A little context here is that Robert Brewstein is a huge name in the American theater. He founded both the Yale Repertory Theater in New Haven and with Rob and others, the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where he remains a creative consultant, and he was also the theater critic for the New Republic. Um, and an associate uh, dean of the school, Harold Stein, took over the acting role as dean of the school, and one of the members of the company, uh, an actor as well as a director, Alvin Epstein, uh, the wonderful album, may he rest in peace, he passed away just a little over a year ago, mm. um, uh, took over as artistic director of the theater. Now, Alvin is an extraordinarily talented man, but one thing he cannot do is uh, organize. Um, I mean, he has uh, had these incredible gifts, but uh, he, he really needed somebody to kind of make sure the dog got walked, the laundry got... <laughs> delivered and picked up and that there was a schedule for him to to get through the day and make sure that he accomplished what needed to be accomplished. So I was his like, you know, aide for for a year doing all sorts of things, um, including being in on rehearsals, being in on auditions, being in on discussions with directors and designers. It was a wonderful period when I really wasn't involved in administration so much, um, except for the laundry and the walking of the dog. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I, I learned a lot, and I communicated with Brewstein by um, uh, tape. We would tape each other um, uh, little messages and send them, you know, through the mail. Um, and uh, I, you know, I got to know him uh, in a different way. He was a mentor of mine as a student, but now I was an employee, but not working directly with him, but nevertheless keeping him in tune and in touch with what was happening. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we built a relationship, and, and then uh, when he came back, he hired me as a managing director. And so I was with him in New Haven, um, both as a student and as a member of the staff, uh, for 10 years. And then in 1979, a group of 36 of us decamped from New Haven and, uh, and founded the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge, working in association with Harvard. Um, and I stayed uh, with that company for 30 years. Um, uh, and then in 2009, uh, crossed the river and activated a wonderful group of theaters um, in the downtown theater district uh, owned by Emerson College and renovated by Emerson College um, um, and created a, a, a public-facing professional uh, international theater program for them. Huh, amazing. So, so let's talk a little bit about the 30 years at ART. Um, you know, wh when you think about your founding mission there in what was that, 1979? You said. Uh, yeah, 1979. 1970. We opened in March of 1980. 
Yeah, 36 of you. That's so interesting. And and now looking over everything that it's done and it's become, you know, obviously one of the premier institutions in the country really for theater. Um do you do you feel that it's achieved those things? What what do you think uh has differed from what you saw the future laid out ahead of you in 1979? You know, what 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 really came to fruition and what sort of differed from that plan? Well, the initial, I mean, the let me tell you, the, the dynamic of it was was a, a kind of re, reversal of what we had in New Haven. In New Haven, the school was the larger entity. We had 200 and some students in seven disciplines. And the theater um, came about uh, a couple of years after Brewstein became dean of the school. But he wanted the theater to be the master teacher, which is to say that the actors who were part of a company that populated the theater were also the teachers, um, and the students learned from them in the classroom and many times also uh, understudied roles that they might play or assisted them in different capacities as directors or designers. Um, And you had what I thought was this wonderful... um, really European model centered mostly in the in the dance world and the ballet world where you you have a uh, a range of institutional um, uh, uh, opportunities to one identify young talent bring them into a training program uh, raise their skill level graduate them into the company have them mature at different levels um, as actors in the company. This is all very much like a ballet world. You know, you start at the, as a member of the chorus and then principals and then on into, you know, whatever the prima donna roles are. Um, and uh, this made sense to me. Um, it made sense to me that then the theater became, the institution of the theater became a, an instrument, an artistic instrument, um, with many, many strands, many, many ways in which it could be, um, the sounds that it could make. Um, and the investment in talent uh, was, uh, was organic, um, and, and you, you controlled your own destiny, basically, <laughs> um, in a way that was satisfying, um, and that the ensemble just got better and better as it became more and more familiar with its its working rhythms um, and as it was uh, continually refreshed with younger talent that graduated into it. That excited me. I liked that. I liked that long term of it. Um, and and the, the, the move to Cambridge was different. We kind of wanted the theater to be the larger entity where most of the resources went. And Harvard at the time uh, didn't offer any courses in the art and practice of the theater. It had offered courses in playwriting. Really? Um, in theater. Pardon me? How is that possible? Uh, well, I'll let you ask that question, but that was the question <laughs> I had asked for sure. Yeah. How can that be? Um, you know, they thought of theater as essentially recreational mm-hmm. and not um, – not really serious enough for academic pursuit, but certainly worthy of, of uh, you know, of, of a, as, a, as an extracurricular activity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
other than playwriting and theater history, but we were brought in to introduce, um, much to their credit at that point, because they were certainly way behind many other eminent institutions, not the least of which was Yale, which was wonderful programs in all the arts, um, uh, to introduce courses in the art and practice of theater in the undergraduate curriculum. But it would be many steps, little baby steps. So the training was always there. The actors in the ART company taught those courses. Um, we thought it would take about four or five years to get the courses through the bureaucratic academic process, and it took a year and a half. Um, wow. And there was, a, there was a debate in the faculty council um, where an esteemed uh, historian uh, piped up at one point towards the end of the debate, and he said, um, I was there, and he said, uh, you know, we don't train butchers, so why should we be training actors? And it was one of those catalytic, incredibly stupid comments um, that just, uh, you know, energized the rest of the faculty and the whole thing passed very quickly. <laughs> I, of course, was appalled. I thought, well, that's the end of it, you know. Well, but sometimes it it's just, good to have someone on the wrong side say something so embarrassing that you're you're just embarrassed to be on the side. Well, of yeah, person. but I was kind of naive at the point. I I, I took it seriously. Well, I thought this is yeah. a very distinguished man. I mean, huh. look at look at how long his eyelashes are. He must be very smart. <laughs> um, and and I thought he would be the final word, but it wasn't. Anyhow, so so we began. Yeah. Um, Harvard, in the meantime, had built um, uh, because they didn't have a theater, and their competitors had theaters. The competitors had theaters because they had theater programs. Harvard didn't have a theater program, but it thought that if it built this is, this is a little cynical of me, I'm sorry, but I, they thought that <laughs> if they built a theater, then they would have, you know, they would have the cachet of having a theater. They didn't know what they were building. They didn't have a program to inform what they were building, so they built the Loeb Drama Center, which had a uh, has a uh, proscenium that can be the width of the Metropolitan Opera House, 40, 54 feet, that had this very large stage house, um, wing space and fly tower, but only 556 seats. So it was way too big a space for undergraduate extracurricular activity, and they tried as best they could to fill it, um, uh, but they failed for the most part. Um, and... Harvard undergraduates aren't used to failure, and so it became something of an embarrassment for the college. It was known in the field at the time as the low ebb, not the lobe, but the low ebb. <laughs> um, so, uh, so we we they invited us in uh, when we left um, uh, when we left Yale. When Brewstein's appointment wasn't renewed, a new president had come in. Uh, he had been dean for 13 years, which was three years more than the average. Um, so we took the opportunity to, to, to um, you know, move a bunch of us up to, uh, to Cambridge, create these courses, um, uh, provide some supervision, professional supervision for the students who are doing the work, um, and produce on a professional level on a stage that was um, desperate for professional production. So and it's a stage that, that? Be oh, became sorry, one of Robert Wilson's, who's one of my favorite directors, oh, one, yeah. of his, one of his favorite spaces because he had the scale, the space to float these fantastic images, yeah. um, uh, which he normally did in, in these European opera houses, but in, in, in a really intimate 550-seat theater. So the power of his work visually was really profound in that space. 
For context, Robert Wilson is an American experimental theater stage director and playwright who has been described by the New York Times as America's or even the world's foremost vanguard theater artist, and he's known for these truly enormous and ambitious productions. You know, it may other other directors and other artists love the scale of it and huh. similarly responded in the way Wilson did too. Um, and and we didn't have a second space. It took us many, many years before we got a second theater, a smaller space um, where we could do more intimate um, work and work that, that had uh, a different variety of configurations in relationship to the audience. Um, it's now called, um, uh, what's it called? Oberon, Club Oberon, but it was it was originally called Zero Arrow Theater, a big big black box that could be huh. um, configured in different ways. And then when we, uh, after five years, took it took the, took the college took the university five years to then say, okay, you've been here for five years. I, we think you're okay. Um, you haven't done anything too embarrassing. Um, so now you have our permission. This is really how it was stated, basically. This is the bottom line. You now have our permission to go out and raise money with our name for your <laughs> department. Um, and so we did. Um, and uh, happily, we also came upon a period of time when uh, uh, Harvard's investment, all of our endowment went into Harvard's general endowment, um, and when they were doing very, very well, they were getting returns of over 20, in some cases 25, 26% a year. Wow, wow. So that little, you know, that little uh, corpus of endowment money over the course of 10 or 12 years just skyrocketed because of the university's um, ability to, to uh, invest it properly. I was so delighted that I didn't have to do anything about investing it. I wouldn't have a clue what to do with it. So, so these are mostly annual donations. You're not seeking out like a whale to give you, a, you know, several million dollars or something, or, or is it a mix? It's a mix. Um, certainly, it was a mix um, uh, because you then devise different funds for them to to launch. It could be fund for new plays. Uh, it could be a fund for international. Collaborations. Um, you find out what interests them, uh, and they uh, they give the support, whatever that particular program might be. Uh, we were funding, we were raising money for scholarships because we eventually created a uh, a uh, uh, an advanced training program that, that provided an MFA not through through Harvard but through the Moscow Art Theater School. Hmm. Um, and uh, that's just what you do. It's what you breathe, um, and it's how you react instinctually throughout the day. Moscow was sort of my second home for a number of years. It was a time when uh, Gorbachev had become chairman and introduced uh, a restructuring, Glasnost and Perestroika, restructuring mm -hmm. and opening up of the culture. And theater is very important in Russian culture, and they became curious about how other other you know other countries and other cultures uh, operated so i i started going over talking about american theater and how it was structured and uh, how it was supported and uh in various schools and professional seminar programs uh, for many many years um developed a relationship with the moscow art theater um uh at one point created 
1991 in the summer uh, program called the Stanislavski Summer School that was uh, worked in association with the ART, um, and it gave the uh, dean of the Moscow Art Theater School an opportunity to bring critical members of his faculty to the states for, for eight weeks, give them a Western wage that would then help to stabilize their situation in Moscow. Um, hmm. And then that, that, um, uh, that began a, a, a process in which those very special teachers um, from, from the Moscow Art Theater School wanted to, um, wanted to collaborate more with America um, and its institutions. And so uh, a group of them created the graduate acting program at Carnegie Mellon Institution, uh, Carnegie Mellon, um, uh, a few years later. Um, Harvard was not interested in the graduate program. And when we, when we got them to agree to the Institute for Advanced Theater Training, they offered, as they had been, um, a certificate. Um, and we introduced a law in the Russian Duma, which is basically their House of Representatives, yeah, yeah. Um, to allow the Moscow Art Theater and the Bolshoi to engage in uh, foreign um, partnerships, including training programs, and that, and to and to and to provide advanced degrees. And so that's when, when that law passed, that was when the Moscow Art Theater School and the ART Institute um, formally partnered in the granting of that program. That's so interesting. I, I'm just, you know, trying to wrap my head around the political, uh, you know, environment of that. You know, I, I think of that time as so. Uh, you know, we're so against them. I, I think of Miracle on Ice and, you know, yeah, competing sure. in everything, Afghanistan, the space race, everything. And yet here are two theaters that really want to come together and actually, and, and you know, make some cooperation happen. Was that politically contentious, do you think, in, you know, in the Boston area around the time? I'm no, not at all. Country a lot, not at but, all. Not at all. And it wasn't politically contentious in in uh, in in Moscow, as far as I know. Hmm. I mean, the Moscow Art Theater is... Um, is revered. I mean, I, you know, it's it's uh, the government uh, would be foolish to do anything uh, that could be viewed as compromising um, the uh, the importance of that theater in that culture. And I don't just mean in Moscow; they would tour all, all over the country. In theater, indeed, mm-hmm. in every major city throughout the eleven time zones of that of that country, yeah. every every. Uh, a city has a, uh, a children's theater, a drama theater. You call them drama theaters. It had a circus theater, uh, and it had an opera slash ballet theater, as well as, of course, a concert hall. Every 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 city has that. Um, huh. That's expected, and and uh, and the communists um, were supportive of that because the public demanded it. Uh, and and oh, such uh, you know such a reverence for uh, for artists is is um, uh, is part of the Russian DNA going way way back. I mean you don't have parks and squares and streets named after generals in Russia. You have them named after poets, playwrights. Yeah, Pushkin. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Huh. How do we get there in America? Well, we, we, we're young, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so true, true. We need centuries, um, yeah, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. I, 
you know, I'm going to die saying that, but I'll be smiling at the same time. <laughs> so we'll end on that note of optimism, which, of course, we all need right now. Hope you, our listeners, are staying safe and healthy right now. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, go ahead and do that on whatever platform you're on, and you'll get updated whenever we post a new interview. And be sure to check us out on our social media pages for more great theater coverage. 